Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Hi, welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiroma Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. And today we're going to be reading and discussing chapters 17, 18, and 19. Woo! Woo! I read all of them this time. <laughs> <laughs> I double-checked this time. <laughs> what did the homework? Yeah. This time. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're going to be doing our uh, recap summary thing and then uh, discuss what we read. I'm going to keep calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to commit. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, it just... It opens up the door for interpretation. Mm -hmm. You know, death of the author, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> death of the uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I committed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so chapter 17 opens with a woman peering into the window of a jewelry shop and squeeing over a fancy new ring design <laughs> from a fancy studio. Down the road a little ways, Winry squeezes over a fancy new automail design in the exact same way. What? She asks, and Ed, making a face at this contrast, just says, uh, nothing. <laughs> We've arrived in Rush Valley. Yay. It's a, yay. I guess? <laughs> it seems fine. It doesn't seem yeah. as, like, poorly off as some places, you know, like, uh, Lior that's destroyed now or whatever. <laughs> I like their entry sign with, like, the giant automail hand. Yes, it took me a, a couple <laughs> panels of seeing the sign to be like, is that hands? Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so it's a bustling industrial town built into cliff sides and full of shops catering to the automail market. Winry excitedly explains to Ed and Al that the prosthetics injury exploded here in the wake of the Civil War, and the town is known as both the boom town of the broken down and the automail engineer's mecca. I can see why, Al says as they walk through the streets. I've never seen this much automail in one place. As long as battles keep flaring up around this country, there will always be demand for the goods and services this city offers, Winry adds. As much as I love automail, I pray for the day when this business won't be so prosperous. As they stroll through the town, they hear a ruckus, and they find a crowd gathered around some street entertainers slash grifters engaged in some automail arm wrestling, which is exactly what it sounds like. A big dude with big metal arms is taking bets, and the gang watches as some poor guy boasts about his brand new automail right before it gets totally destroyed in the match. Mechanics in the crowd then descend on him like vultures, with offers of great deals on the new arm he suddenly needs, and if he can't pay out of pocket, he can work it off for paying installments. Ed and Al almost slip by this scam unharassed until the barker hits a bullseye with Ed. What am I thinking? A little pipsqueak like you wouldn't offer any competition. <laughs> Enraged, Ed slams his money down and gets ready to wrestle, despite the jeering of the crowd and even Winry telling him he doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> but to everyone's shock, Ed wins easily, completely destroying the big guy's automail. As the vultures descend and Ed sore winners it up, Al sighs <laughs> and explains to Winry in a whisper that Ed put his hands together under the table before starting the match and used alchemy to change his opponent's arm into a weaker substance. That's cheating, Winry says. Ha ha ha, I don't hear a word you're saying, Ed responds. <laughs> Abject and I looks good on him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ed then also catches the attention of the mechanics in the crowd, not for his potential as a paycheck, but for his arm. I've never seen that style of automail around here, says one, and another grabs his arm for further inspection. Whoa, you're right. Look at the intricacy of the metalwork. Winry eagerly steps forward to claim credit for the design and begins talking shop with the other mechanics, while poor Ed becomes a living prop to the discussion. And it goes further downhill for him once they realize his leg is also automail. <laughs> this town really is a mecca for automail engineers. Everyone here is so devoted to their research, Winry happily declares afterward. That's no excuse to strip me to my underwear in public, Ed yells in his underwear. <laughs> in public? <laughs> yes. 
Disgruntled, he begins to get dressed again, but quickly notices something wrong as he puts his pants on. He frantically pats his pockets. It's gone, he says with a panicked look. The thing that proves I'm a state alchemist. My silver watch is gone. They ask around town, and the locals tell them that it sounds like the work of Panina, a pickpocket who targets tourists. And with only some minor threats, Ed gets them to tell him the location of the pawn shop she's, she tends to sell her prizes to. At said pawn shop, Panina, a young woman who looks not much older than our trio, is presenting the watch to the owner for inspection. He admires the craftsmanship and takes note of the name engraved on it, Edward Elric, which sounds familiar to him somehow, as well as the military crest, but also notes that the lid won't open. Panini tries as well, with no success, and also notes that the watch doesn't seem to be running either. Maybe it's a fake, she says. I'll try winding it. Don't wind it, Ed shouts from the doorway, huffing from the effort of running there. He glares at her. Don't open the lid either. Uh-oh, Panini says, not looking very concerned. She picks up a vase from the counter and throws it in Ed's direction, telling him to catch. No, that vase is worth 800,000 cents, the shopkeeper cries, and Ed frantically manages to catch it before it shatters, saving himself from having to join the pawn shop host club to work off his <laughs> I'm glad you made that joke, because I was going to make that joke if you didn't. Isn't the, wasn't the vase worth 800,000 yen? Wasn't it exactly the same? <laughs> or something like that. It might have been. <laughs> or 80,000, yeah, hold on, I'm going to, no, it's fine, go on. <laughs> Panina escapes out the window and onto the rooftops during the distraction, and Ed now quickly take off in pursuit. Oh yeah, the shopkeeper says to the empty room. Now I know him. He's the youngest state alchemist. The chase ranges all over town, and while Ed and Al are quick, Panina is also no slouch in the athletics department. Plus, she has the home field advantage, able to take shortcuts and run them into traps, such as tricking Ed into leaping into a yard with a vicious guard dog. After Al scares off the dog, Ed angrily declares he's going to kick Panina's ass, which Al isn't so sure about since she's a girl. I'm not sexist, Ed declares. <laughs> How come when he says that, it sounds like a threat, Al wonders. <laughs> I like that that can be threatening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I checked and it was worth 8 million yen, just for the record. <laughs> Stupid rich people. Yes. <laughs> Sitting at the edge of a roof, Panina takes a break to try and open the watch again, to no avail. I told you not to open it, Ed says again, coming up behind her. Panina smirks. Why, you got a picture in there you don't want anybody to see? That's none of your business, Ed says, irritated. Give it back. She sticks her tongue out, making Ed even angrier, and uses alchemy to create big stone hands out of the roof to surround Panina. She looks startled for the first time. Nice trick. What exactly are you? She asks. I'm an alchemist, Ed says. Panina jumps out of the way of the attack and laughs. I've never played tag with an alchemist before, she says, and the chase is back on. Back at the center of town, Al and Winry are watching through a spyglass, I guess. <laughs> like pirates. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Weird. <laughs> it's the steampunk series, so it has yeah. to be. <laughs> Al and Winry are watching through their pirate spyglass and wondering if Ed will be able to get Panina all the way down here. The fight continues across the rooftops, Ed increasingly angry and using wild alchemical attacks, while Panina laughs and jumps and dodges, apparently having the time of her life. Eventually, Ed slams his hand down on a wide roof they're both standing on, and Panini pauses in confusion as nothing seems to happen. What's the matter? She asks. Run out of ideas? Too tired? There's more to alchemy than just making things pop out of nowhere, Ed says. For example, I can turn the ground beneath your feet into a more fragile substance. The ground cracks, and Panini plummets into the shop below, startling the poor shopkeeper. Ed transmutes and drops a cage after her, but Panini has already recovered and left the building, and Ed only succeeds in catching the even more disturbed shopkeeper. <laughs> Fortunately, Ed has succeeded in the larger plan of running Panini into Al, and as she steps outside, Al says, I've been waiting for you, and activates the large transmutation circle she's just stumbled into. Another cage emerges, this time surrounding her from the ground up, and Panini is finally caught. For a moment, anyway. She taps the bars, then warns Ed to step back, and swiftly cuts through the bars with a blade that has emerged from her leg. What are you staring at? She asks. This is Rush Valley, remember? 
She reveals that her other leg is also automail and equipped with a gun, which she fires past them as a distraction and then takes off running again. But it's Winry to the rescue, who grabs Panina by the wrist as she runs by. Good job, Winry, Ed yells. Don't let go of that little thief. Of course I won't let her go, Winry says. Not until you let me get a good look at that automail up close. <laughs> that's the end of chapter 17. The true motivation. Yep. <laughs> she knows what she wants. Yes. Sometime later, Panina is leading Ed, Al, and Winry on a treacherous journey through the mountains in the blazing heat, or so it would seem. Mm -hmm. She yells at them to hurry up or she'll leave them behind, and Ed screams to the heavens, Why the heck am I following you into these godforsaken mountains anyway? We flash back to right after Panina's capture to find out why. She's handcuffed now and has her pant legs rolled up to the knee for Winry to inspect her automail legs. She's extremely impressed, going on about the suspension and balance and the modifications necessary to make room for the weaponry, while Ed and Al sit nearby looking lost. Winry asks to be introduced to whoever made Panita's automail. She agrees, but then sees an opportunity and adds, He lives way out in the middle of nowhere, so you'll need a guide. In exchange, you let me off the hook for picking your friend's pocket, okay? Winry readily agrees, but Ed protests that that's not her decision to make and that he's turning her into the police. They bicker for a bit, but Ed's claim that Panini is a menace to this town loses some steam as various townspeople start to show up and identify Ed as the primary source of today's property damage. <laughs> he's lost even more ground after he finishes fixing everything, as Winry is now chatting happily with Panini about their upcoming expedition. Al suggests he just give it up. That's how we're on our mountain trek. Winry remarks that Panini really wasn't kidding about her engineer living in the middle of nowhere, and she explains... He says he can find better quality ore for automail parts out here, so that's why he has a shop so deep in the mountains. Well, that and he didn't want to live in town. Too many people. He's not what you call the friendly sort. Ed snaps at her to just give his watch back, but she says they made a deal and she's holding it hostage until it's done. I'm not the one who made the deal with you, he grumps. I like that on this on our podcast we've made grump into a verb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the best way to describe the way Ed talks like half Pretty the time. much. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and it should be a verb. <laughs> yeah. I think mostly I used it for Kyo, I feel like, before. Yeah. Which is also legitimate. Also yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> Eventually, they cross a long suspension bridge and make it to a large house-slash-workshop built into the cliffside. Panina takes them inside and greets the young man working there, introducing Winry to him as an engineer who's interested in Dominic's automail. A heavily pregnant woman enters and also greets Panina, saying they were just about to have tea, and the man invites them all to join them. Winry says to Panina that he doesn't seem all that unfriendly, and she laughs and says, no, that's not him. The man introduces himself as Rydal and the woman as his wife, Satara. The unfriendly one is my dad, Dominic, he says. And we cut to Dominic, looking very unfriendly as he works in the forge. Panina sticks her head in to greet him, and he just says, You again? What do you want? Panina says she still has to make payments on her legs, and he grunts that he doesn't want her money. Satara interrupts to tell him they have guests and to get him to come out and have tea. Outside, Dominic and Winry begin to talk shop, and though the conversation bores Panina, Dominic seems impressed by Winry's knowledge. A little ways away, Ed and Al congratulate Satara on the baby, which is due in about two weeks. Ed adorably asks to feel her tummy, then happily declares it really cool. And then they all discuss the miracle of birth for a while, until Ed is very sweetly called over by Winry to be a living prop again. I like that he pointed out that they, he's like, it's so cool! Yeah. <laughs> anyway. It's cute. It is cute. Back inside, Dominic examines Ed's automail and discusses it with Winry. She hears enough to confirm her admiration of Dominic, but the most important thing Ed hears is that his automail is too heavy for his size and might be stunting his growth. Are you saying that if I get lighter automail, I might grow taller? Mm -hmm. It's possible, Dominic says, and tears of joy stream down Ed's face. Winry gathers her determination and requests that Dominic take her on as an apprentice, and he immediately refuses. Can't you at least take some time to think about it? She asks, crestfallen. Ed then jumps in to ask Dominic to make him some lighter automail, also refused, and the two go back and forth bugging him with their requests until they finally get kicked out of the workshop. 
Outside, a thunderstorm starts up, and Rydal assures everyone that they can stay until the weather passes, despite Dominic's grumpy insistence that they scram. <laughs> Panini rubs at her legs, complaining that the joints ache when it rains, and Winry asks her how she came to need Autumn She explains that she was in a train accident. When you don't have any parents and you lose your ability to walk, you feel like it's the end of the world, she says, and we see a heartbreakingly young Panina pulling herself along the ground by her hands, then sitting alone in an alley while the, crowd while the crowds walk past her. The actual time I spent crawling wasn't that long, but that was the lowest point in my life. I had the eyes of the dead. And then in the past, someone stops in front of Panina, Dominic. She glares up at him. What are you looking at? You think you're the most unfortunate person in the world, is that it, you little brat? He asks her. People like you really piss me off. And then he hauls her up off the ground and carries her away. Before I knew what had happened, he'd fitted me with these autumn legs, Panini continues to narrate. The surgery was painful and the rehabilitation was excruciating. But when I was finally able to stand on my own two feet, I felt so happy. The sun was warm and it seemed so much closer than it had ever been before. These legs gave me back my will to live. They gave me the freedom to go places in life. They gave me a future. She smiles widely. That's why I love Dominic so much. But I also love Rido, Winry, and anyone who works with Automail. She then explains that Dominic refused any payment from her then, but she found out what it would have cost and keeps trying to pay, though he still won't take her money. I feel so guilty that I want to cry, she says. Winry tells her that she should stop pickpocketing if she wants to repay him. Dominic gave those legs to you from an honest desire to help you. You have to repay him in an honest way, too. It's like what Ed always says. It has to be an equivalent exchange. Benigna sees her point and decides she'll give the honest way a try, which reminds her that she never did give Ed his watch back. She takes it out of her pocket, and she and Winry both look it over, Winry remarking that she's never actually seen it up close before. Panini mentions that she couldn't get the lid open and that Ed yelled at her for trying, and then the girls get a wonderful, awful idea, and Winry puts her mechanical <laughs> skills to evil use. <laughs> she gets it popped open in short order, but the sneaky joy at taking a peek at Ed's secrets quickly fades from her face. All that's inside are the etched words, Don't forget 3 October 11. I don't get it, Panina says. What's that supposed to mean? Winry looks upset. She closes the watch and tells Panina to give it back to Ed. Then she stands and wipes at her eyes. One more time, she says determined. I'm going to ask Dominic to accept me as his apprentice one more time. She leaves the room with firm steps, then quickly runs back in because Satara is about to have her baby. I thought it wasn't due for a few more days, Rydal says, panicked as he kneels beside his wife on the floor. Dominic then bursts in, Ed and Al on his heels, and everyone begins to panic, except poor Satara, looking exasperated even through the discomfort. <laughs> Dominic looks outside and declares there's no way they're getting Satara to the hospital in this weather, so he rides into town to get the doctor while everyone tries to get Satara settled and not freak out. This lasts until Dominic comes back far too quickly, looking shocked. The bridges, he begins, and Ed, Al, and Winry all troop out to see that a lightning strike has taken out the nearest support, collapsing the suspension bridge. Ed tries to create a bridge using alchemy, but the gap is too wide, and the bridge collapses under its own weight before it even reaches halfway across. He and Al quickly try to brainstorm a solution, but with little success. The storm-raged river below would wash away any supports they made, and trying to move too much mass might collapse the cliffs they're standing on. Dominic decides there's no time, and they're putting themselves in danger standing out in the storm. He tells the others to go back inside and keep watch over Satara, while he takes the long way around to the other side of the mountain to get to town. Ed clenches his fist and grits his teeth, looking down. What's the point of being a state alchemist or human weapon, he says, if I can't even use my powers when I need them the most? When they go back inside, Panini greets them with panic because Satara's water is broken. Is that something bad? Ed asks, and Winry explains that it means the baby is ready to be born. The boys and Panina begin to freak out again, but Winry stays calm, looking worried but thoughtful. She settles everyone down and then calls Rydal over. What? Rydal says once he hears what she has to say. You can't stop her when she sets her mind to something, Ed says, and right now it's our only option. Do you have any experience delivering children? Rydal asks Winry as she ties on an apron. None at all, she says, but we don't have time to be indecisive. With everyone's help, I will deliver the baby. And then, looking a little too nervous to be comforting, she says to Satara, All right, ma'am, prepare yourself. 
with Ed in the corner saying, you're the one looking more freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> I love her face. It's like so, yeah. so freaked out. <clears throat> I like what's coming next. So I'll wait mm-hmm. for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chapter 19 picks up right where we left off. Winry takes command, setting it sending Ed and Al off to boil water, Panini to get some towels, and Rydell to get alcohol for disinfectant, and everybody hurries to obey. Panini nervously asks Ed if this is going to be okay as they leave the room. All we can do right now is trust Winry, he says. He tells her that Winry comes from a family of doctors and grew up reading medical books like picture books, the same way he and Al did with alchemy books. Panini protests that that doesn't mean she actually studied medicine, and Ed agrees. But right now, she's the best we've got. All we can do is trust in her memory and courage. Outside the door to Satara's room, Winry hesitates, frantically going over everything she knows and trying to think if she's forgetting something. Ed and Al call her name and she looks up. They give her an encouraging look. You can do it. She looks at them, looks at Satara and Rydal, waiting for her, and then nods. Okay, she says, then asks for Panini to come and assist her and closes the door behind. The boys wait outside, terrified by Satara's cries of pain within, and eventually slump down against the wall, confessing their fear and how useless they feel. Guess this is one of those times when all you can do is pray, Ed says. The storm rages on outside through the berth, and then the door cracks open and Panini stumbles out, mumbling about the blood. Ed and Al look through the door and see Winry knelt down on the floor. Ed hurries to her side and asks what happened, and Winry points with a shaky hand. He looks up and sees Rydal holding a crying infant beside Satara, who smiles weakly. It's okay, Ed says, beginning to grin. He and Al throw their arms up in a delighted cheer. It's okay! Ed laughingly scolds Panini for scaring him, but she's still recovering from the sight of blood in the hallway. He comes back over by Satara's bed. That's so cool. It's a real life baby, he says. This is awesome. It's so awesome. <laughs> Still on the floor, Winry laughs, saying he sounds like a kid. But think about it, Ed says. It's the birth of a new life. What alchemy has been unable to do for hundreds of years of research, create a living human being, a woman can do in 280 days. Winry scolds him for taking the beauty out of it by phrasing it so scientifically, but he says that's just how he thinks about things. It really is awesome, isn't it? He says again. Human beings are awesome. Winry smiles up at him, and he adds, You're pretty awesome yourself. Not bad for an amateur. Winry laughs and encourages him to keep up the compliments. He asks if there's anything he can do to help now, and is surprised when Winry asks him to help her up. I was so relieved that it, I was so relieved when it was safely over that I lost all the strength in my legs, she admits, and Ed snorts. He piggybacks her out into the hall, grumbling that he'll drop her when she jokes about being carried by someone smaller than her, and grabs her a chair to help her into. Um, Ed, Winry begins before he puts her down. I opened your watch, she confesses quietly, and I saw what was inside. Ed does drop her then, right onto the floor. <laughs> you you forced it open, he demands. I'm sorry, Winry says immediately. I'm really sorry. He frowns, then reaches down to help her up. You idiot, he says. He helps her into the chair and sits down on the one beside her. I've never even shown it to Al, he admits after a moment. She asks him why, and he's silent for another moment. The fact that I carry around this watch to remind me of the promise that I made to myself and to keep myself going makes me feel so pathetic. Tears start to roll down Winry's cheeks, and he asks why she's the one crying. You and Al never cry, so I'm crying for you, she says. Ed looks away. You idiot, he says again. He tells her she should go back home, that seeing that must make her appreciate that she still has one, and that Granny's probably lonely without her. Winry says that seeing it made her realize she can't go home yet. You burned down your own home and then wrote that so you'd never forget and never turn back. If you can do that, then I should be just as serious about the things I believe in. I want to be able to help you so your road's not so hard. I want to get better at engineering and make you the best automail I can. So I'm going to ask Dominic one more time to accept me as his apprentice. Ed smiles and wishes her good luck. Meanwhile, Dominic has become uncharacteristically gushy in the presence of his new grandson. He's brought the doctor back, and the doctor confirms that mother and child are both doing well and praises Winry for handling things so well. 
Dominic also thanks her, bowing his head in genuine gratitude, which makes Winry flustered. Ed sees the opportunity to try and help nudge him into accepting Winry as an apprentice, but Dominic still refuses. He's grateful, but he doesn't take apprentices. Besides, Winry shouldn't keep her family worrying. He's right, Al says. Granny Panaco will be all alone in Resinbull. Dominic falls off his stool in shock. Panaco from Resinbull? He asks with sudden horror. Winry confirms that she's her granddaughter, and Dominic scoots away from her. <laughs> um, did something happen between you and Granny? Winry starts to ask, but he cuts her off, saying she's going to reopen old wounds. The memories are too awful, he cries. That wild woman, the panthers of Resinbull. <laughs> the what? Ed and Al shout. When he calms down, Dominic says again that he doesn't take apprentice, and knowing that she's that woman's grandchild makes him want to take her on even less. But he supposes he can introduce her to a good engineer in town, if she's that insistent on training. Winry asks if she can come watch him work sometimes, and he grumps that she shouldn't come just to get in the way. But if she wanted to come and visit his grandson sometimes, he supposes that would be okay. The next morning, everyone sees the gang off, drawing them a map to get through the mountains to Rush Valley again, and asking them to get the townspeople to work repairing the bridge. Winry is told to ask for an engineer named Garfield, who does good work and is looking for an apprentice. The kids make it just in time for Ed and Al's train, and they say their goodbyes as they run to catch it. Winry tells them to be careful, and Ed tells her to train hard and to remember to give Granny a call. I don't need you of all people to remind me, Winry says, and Ed laughs. He points to his automobile alarm and says, Make sure you steal some of that old geezer's secrets so next time you can make me a better one of these. You can count on it, Winry shouts as the train pulls away. In Resinbull, Panaco talks on the phone with Winry. Is that so? In Rush Valley? She says. She tells Winry not to worry and to work hard and to make the best of it. When she hangs up, she looks around the room with a sigh. My, this house seems awfully big right now. Den, who is a good dog, comes <laughs> over and leans against Panaco, who grumpily shoes her off, saying she's not some kid who gets lonely. She sighs again. Really, I always thought of them as little kids, but all of a sudden they're beginning to walk their own paths. She looks down at a photo of the three of them, much younger. Those kids. Elsewhere, Ed and Al have finally made it to Dublith. They stand in front of an unremarkable-looking butcher shop with determined expressions and say, At last, we're here. Then those determined expressions falter as they nervously hope their teacher isn't home. They're startled by a cheerful employee who comes up behind them and loudly greets them. Hi, can I help you? Please come in and- Edward, is that you? Long time no see. You're Mason, right? Hi, Ed says, recovering from the shock. Mason pats Ed on the head, noting that he's gotten bigger, and once Ed introduces his friend in the armor as Al, notes that he's really gotten bigger. <laughs> you came to see Izumi, right? Mason asks, and says he'll go get her. Perfect timing. Izumi just got back from a trip yesterday. Ed and Al have a moment to fervently wish that trip was still ongoing as Mason enters the shop and calls out, Hey, boss, you have some guests waiting out back. And then a truly massive man wielding a butcher's knife emerges from the shop, looking down at Ed and Al with a snarling expression. Nice to see you again. The boys nervously <laughs> greet him. And that's our cliffhanger ending. It's Barry the Chopper. Chapter 19. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't get to see the teacher yet. Oh. <laughs> but I guess we know her name. <laughs> it was lighthearted. Does that mean something really bad's going to happen next time? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think the answer is yes, if I know anything about the series. <laughs> Nothing bad happened this time, though. I guess yeah, the bridge it's... got destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't yeah, see the dismemberment. Days since our last child dismemberment. Mm -hmm. yeah. We didn't see the dismemberment. We saw a dismembered child. That's slightly <laughs> yeah. different. <laughs> Only very slightly different. We saw a man's arm get exploded. Yeah. That was pretty great. Actually, two. <laughs> two men's arms. <laughs> Prosthetic <Yeah>. arms. <laughs> 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 You could have a counter for arm, a prosthetic arm explosions too. Yeah, that's already that happened be, several times. That would be a high counter. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like these chapters. They're uh, they're good Winry chapters. I was gonna say, how about that Winry? 
mm-hmm. feel like this is like a study of Winry mm-hmm. in three acts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see why you put all these together. Mm-hmm. Good job putting all these three together. <laughs> Turns out Winry's a badass, I think. Mm-hmm. Also, I feel like it's not fair to say that she doesn't have any medical mm-hmm. training. Like, doesn't she know how to put freaking art- automail together? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. It's true. That's I mean, like yeah, semi advanced so medical training, you know? Do you know where all your nerves are? I didn't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you, I guess knowing uh, how to connect nerves in limbs doesn't necessarily mean you know how to deliver a child. That's definitely so. true. That's a hundred percent true. That's why obstetrics is its own field. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like she was the most qualified. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I would have trusted her over mm-hmm. any of the other options. <laughs> I loved how how much everyone was panicking too. Like mm-hmm. I loved the panicking. Yeah. The, the way that panels. yeah, the panicking panels. Yeah. The way that Arakawa drew them was really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where all their arms are flailing around and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love the one where they're panicking and then when really like, grabs them all like by the hair. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Oh yeah. I yeah, always yeah. wonder why they boil water. I feel like that's a trope from <laughs> like the ba- oh the baby's coming suddenly scenes. There's always like get boiled water. It's like what yeah. is the boiled water? What is the hot water for? I don't know. I've heard it's a joke. I've heard the joke that it's like something to keep the husband busy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I could also see it as just being like a, a sanitization. Thing, I was going to say my assumption. Like older, yeah. older settings. Definitely. My assumption was always that. But then she's yeah. like, and then get, do you have any alcohol for disinfectant? I was like, but wasn't that what the boiled water was for? <laughs> well, this, this thing I found says warm water immersion in labor can diminish stress hormones yeah. and reduce pain yep. by increasing the body's production of pain relievers. You yeah. can also use muscular You do like the full bathtub situation. Yeah, I, 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 I think that requires more boiled water than they usually show in the, in the <laughs> That's Yeah, true. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe it's just to keep everything clean. Like there's a lot of blood. Yeah. Just wipe everything down. You can't like, you're not going to move the, the yeah. woman giving birth near a sink. So it's like, just yeah. bring some warm water and they boil it and then it stays warm for a while, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's just funny that it's a trope but to me. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it's impressive that Winry is like, uh, I'm the one that has to do this. And then, so she starts sassing people and ordering them around. And then you see the scene of her panicking by the door where her like mm-hmm. arm is shaking. That's the one you were like, she has that panic expression. That was the scene that I liked when mm-hmm. she was kind of like panicking as well. Yeah. Internally panicking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or being nervous, yeah. I guess. Maybe not panicking. but Being reasonably nervous. <laughs> For being completely inexperienced. Mm-hmm. I love Ed being like her strongest advocate. Yes, in those scenes. I enjoyed that too. They're like, "Is this gonna be okay?" Yeah. And Ed is like, "She's our only hope." But then they also yeah. turn around and like, um, like you know, wish her good luck. So mm-hmm. I think we talked before about. I really want to talk about Rinri, but we talked before about Ed's like um, spirituality. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, he claims to be an atheist, but even in this instance, he's like, I guess it's one of those times where all you can do is pray. So mm-hmm. I feel like we keep seeing glimpses of that. He claims to be, like, uh... I mean, at least he claims to be an atheist. I feel yeah. like we're seeing a, we've seen a picture of him as being sort of somewhat spiritual in some ways, but mm-hmm. even while yeah, still there's definitely like... some, like, kind of tension between, like, two different beliefs inside him. Mm-hmm. Yes. With that. Seems like a whole theme of the story or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah specifically with him i think we see it um pretty often yeah yeah and like you can also see like al seems to like genuinely be praying and then like 
mm. birth scene when you see like a bunch of little glimpses of everything you see like al has like his head down and his like hands clasped in mm. front of his face mm-hmm. i think also they're sort of like Winry specifically commented on it by the way that they're like, oh, can I feel your tummy? Whoa, so cool. Whoa, mm-hmm. look, it's a baby. Whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> like, sort mm-hmm. of like childlike amazement about this process, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got to be kids again, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Winry was the grown up this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the three of them have to trade that around. It can't be more than one of them at a time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> It's too much responsibility for one child to be <laughs> an, an, an adult all the time. <laughs> I thought it was interesting in the first, the first, um, the first chapter how Winry catches Paninia. She's the one who actually mm-hmm. catches her oh, in the yeah, end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then of course traps her into talking about her automail. But <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> she's just like, I got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, a gun! Like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, sure, Ed's watch, but I got to see this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Take me to where the guy is who makes your automail. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, listen to me in the background the whole time, yeah. which is wonderful. <laughs> and Al's just like, dude, just give it up. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely the Winry show, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Winry saves the day multiple times because she also was the only one who was super helpful when the baby was being born, too. Because Ed tried to make the bridge, but it, he wasn't able to. That's true. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I like how we got to see that. Like, we've seen, like, tragic consequences of, like, alchemy. But mm-hmm. I think it's the first time we've seen, like, it's like sometimes it just doesn't do any good. Alchemy like, isn't yeah. magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he can't, he can't. It's also, like, very well thought through, the fact that it's, like, he can't just make a stone bridge. Like, mm-hmm. I also appreciate that Arakawa was, like, yeah, if he made this bridge, would that even work? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, there was some thought mm-hmm. behind that, too. Yeah, because I think a a lesser author would have just been like, and he makes the bridge and it's fine because he still the Mm -hmm. dude Dominic still would have been gone. Like, yeah, yeah, it didn't have to not work. So, um, but yeah, I guess it's just interesting that in this in this chapter, actually in this chapter, alchemy never works. None of the things they do ever did, you know, like they kind of moderately slowed down Paninia, and Mm -hmm. but even when they caught her in the end, she used her auto mail to escape. Yeah, so. I mean, and then, and, and, uh, addition to that is the, the pocket watch was sealed with alchemy, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we pried it open. Pried open, too, so that didn't <laughs> yeah. even work. I mean, he probably just latched it in a, you know, one spot or something, yeah. but they have to be able to pry it open so that we can have the reveal about yeah. what's inside. <laughs> I like how the, the military is just, like, yeah, in all time, I mean... <laughs> I do think it's interesting how, like, that's their, like, military, like, ID. Like, mm-hmm. give him mm-hmm. a different ID. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I was like, maybe they should have given him, like, a tattoo or something. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Microchip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is a dog of the military. Huh? Huh? <laughs> mm. <laughs> People would come to the shelter, like, I found this alchemist. Can we scan him and see if he's got a microchip? <laughs> think he might like, belong to somebody. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> They're like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> Look at him, he's so small. <laughs> it's funny how you specifically mentioned the spyglass, too. It's like, oh, yeah. Like, there's a certain amount of technology in this story. Like, obviously, like, automail is super advanced, but then there's not, like, you know, like, cell phones. Like, it doesn't take mm-hmm. place in an alternate universe of, like, the early 2000s. It takes place in, like, almost like another time as well. Mm-hmm. They have phones and trains. 
Mm-hmm. Are there cars? Yeah. Have we seen cars? Um, oh yeah, there was. Yeah. Oh wait, there are cars. I'm not sure if we've seen them, but there okay. are. Like, yeah. That. So it's yeah, kind of did, like well, you know. Was that a wagon where they got? Because I went think to that the was library. a wagon. Oh. Oh no, I think they did drive to. They the did library. drive there. Yeah. yeah, they got escorted there in a car. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the cars like mostly in the cities, though. You don't really yeah. see them. Yeah. More rural areas. And there's not like seen. a lot. Like mm-hmm. you don't see a ton on the road, but yeah, we've seen like horses and wagons and other stuff too, and then lots of trains. Yeah, so it's it kind of like AU nineteen forties ish. Yeah, I was gonna say it seems relatively equivalent to like nineteen twenties, thirties, something like that, that era. Yeah, yeah, seems familiar, mm-hmm. especially with the whole fear situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. They have there's a specific uh, this series has kind of a but then their like outfits are pretty modern so. That's true. It's inter- yeah, it's kind of a mm-hmm. it's not completely, but it's also there's there's some technology that doesn't really seem to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The society has evolved to automail, not cell phones. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's like internally consistent, but it doesn't really like have a direct equivalent to the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's stuff def- it's certainly like there's clearly like rules of like, okay, this is like there's no cars or like you know, all the buildings are always kind of the same, like, era-looking, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, uh, there's never, like, at least we haven't seen any, like, skyscrapers or anything yet. Like, there's never, like, tall buildings. Yeah. You know? There's, like, cons- buildings that are constructed, like, with brick and, like, glass, but, like, never, um, and wood and stuff, but never anything really, like, tall or super, like, metally. you know? Yeah. That's why it has that kind of, like... 1920s, 30s, 40s kind of feel. Yeah. And then spare sparse cars, small towns. Yeah. Although there was a whole civil war going on for a long period of time, so you know, <laughs> technology <laughs> was probably being used for that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting that the cars we've seen so far were in use by the military. That's true. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Anyway, we were talking about the pocket watch. I got kind of distracted, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then they when we pried it open, yeah, and she didn't tell uh, Panina about what it meant, but mm-hmm. she knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked the scene between her and Ed too. After when she after she yeah. admits to him that she, uh, that she opened the watch. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like it's something about him that even Al doesn't know that he told mm-hmm. her or yeah. that she found out about him. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it shows like. There's a couple of things in these chapters that kind of show the like, the like trust between them and like how mm-hmm. well they know each other. Mm-hmm. It's like, like that's like he's annoyed at her for like doing that, but then like, you know, calms down after she apologizes and then is like, you know, trusts her enough to, like, explain like the whole deal behind it. Something that I find interesting, cause, you know, they do have that that little you you see the date, but you don't really know what it means. Mm. Um, I remember the first several times I I came across that i would think that it was the day they tried to transmute their mom back mm-hmm. and then be like you know find the, that it's it's when they they burnt the house down and sort of set on this journey to more or less get their bodies back mm-hmm. which um i don't know i find it interesting because like it's instead of sort of thinking of what they had and sort of i, I guess thinking a lot on on like the past it's more of what they have now and moving forward with with what they still have and trying to sort of i mean i guess they don't have their bodies anymore and they're going back to that but like 
like he still has Al and like he wants to to I guess that's more motivating to him than than what he had lost already. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, that that's something that I always kind of yeah. It's like a it's like a determination to go forward rather than like a like remembering like the terrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Well, like and Ed Ed specifically brings it up where he's like. Doesn't that make you want to go back to Resident Bull? And Winry is like, no, I'm now I'm even more determined. So I feel like we got this, like, we always knew that Winry and Pinocchio were his, like, mechanics. And they had set up the automail for him and stuff like that. But I think Winry's specific desire was, it's, she revealed that, I think, partially her goal specifically to help Ed mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. his, like, goal of getting, bringing, uh, getting their bodies back, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, or specifically Al. I don't know. It's kind of... They say they want to get their bodies back to normal, but I think he's really more focused on getting Al's body back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially from this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I thought that was interesting and, and touching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how like that's obviously like a big, like strong, like motivator. Mm-hmm. Her, but like she still obviously has a passion for like all yeah, separate clearly. from that. It's not like it's born completely out of her desire to help Ed. Yeah. yeah. But she's also just... Um, she's also not not just his mechanic <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which has been pointed out many times yeah. obviously but <laughs> <laughs> she specifically I guess specifically mm-hmm. one of her goals is to help him which I think yeah. is nice mm-hmm. and she also cried for him <laughs> mm-hmm. and she was like you guys never cry yeah. <laughs> the one who won't and the one who can't <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. We've got kind of a, a change in situation for her, too, because she's going to be staying in Rush Valley now. Right. Yeah. Has a... Uh, <laughs> apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Moving on up. <laughs> Which I think is also a cool decision, because I think, like, you know, it'd be easy to just leave her in Resin Bowl and just, like... Yeah, she could just be a side character. Waiting for the boys to show up. Yes. <laughs> no, she has her own agency, which is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... I kind of liked that it wasn't. I figured, like, I thought that what was going to happen was that Dominic was going to be like, okay, since you, like, help the family, I'll take you in. But it's kind of nice that he, like, you know, it's like the chapter showed that he's a nice guy, but he still decided not to have her as an apprentice. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, it still wasn't the kind of, like, fairy tale ending, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but she got an apprenticeship, so mm-hmm. yeah. it's working out. Mm-hmm. Um, and with someone that like Dominic also obviously like yeah respects or something yeah, yeah. considers a, a good mechanic so. yes <laughs> so good enough but yeah I feel like you could have the cool. easy way out would have just been to have him have them have her stay with him but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know he he's letting her watch so you know she's gonna be able to learn some stuff maybe not as much as in a full apprenticeship but you know she mm-hmm. can learn a few tips and tricks here um, mm-hmm. from that. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's not like he he warmed up to her in the end, but yeah, Mm -hmm. not fully, I guess. (laughs) Well, he's afraid of her grandmother. I was gonna say he also knew Pinaco, which was wonderful. (laughs) Which the Panthers of (laughs) Resembool. I still love. I couldn't figure out how to like put it in the summary, but the drop panel panel of her, (laughs) where like Ed and Al are like looking at that piece of the panel, it's like breaking the fourth wall a little bit. (laughs) She has her like pipe, and she's like, oh. Yeah, mm. like now we're like looking at that image in his memory. And yes. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was more detail, but it's kind of funny not knowing. Which is yeah. Crazy. yeah. <laughs> I mean, she said. Then they say somebody said, "Oh no, Pinaco said that she was uh, Ed and Alice's father's drinking buddy." Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
I feel like that's like it. We're getting a bigger picture of Pinako. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is that she's also a badass. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the scene with, yes, Dan is a good dog. And the scene with <laughs> Pinako being like, oh, like the kids are growing up was cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice when uh, adults acknowledge that children are. I mean, we talk. We also talk about all the time about how they're just children. But like, she's like, yeah. I mean, I always think of them as children, but you know, they're off doing their own thing now and whatever. So they're growing up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that was a nice little scene at the end of everything. Yeah, it was cute. So, in the same page as as where you see Pinaco, the the young Pinaco, underneath you see um Dominic. I guess he has his hand over his his like a fist over his mouth. But, you know, I, I just wasn't looking at it. And it just looked like he had a very weird mouth. <laughs> I couldn't figure <laughs> out what that was for a minute. Let's oh. take a look. Yeah, he's doing like a like awkward cough moving on the <laughs> conversation. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we also met Paninia, who played a somewhat important role in this. <laughs> yep. She at least moved mm. the plot along. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's the... Um... The inciting incident. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I read it. I was like, that was fun. And then I was thinking about how to write these notes. And I was like, she was really in a lot of this, but she's not really the main, not the main event exactly. Yeah. Also, their mm-hmm. fight. I mean, they had their little fight. 90% of it, of the first chapter that we read was them, Ed chasing mm-hmm. her, doing varying levels of, of gaudy alchemy too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the hands are collapsing and stuff. It's a nice little detail. You can see Panina in the crowd around Ed mm-hmm. before the uh, pickpocket mm. reveal. <laughs> nice. It's like, no, my watch's gone. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, there she is. Mm-hmm. But it, her story <laughs> is very tragic. Yeah. I wonder if she lost her parents in the train accident, too. Yeah, it wasn't clear. It wasn't specific. Yeah. Yeah, and then they, I mean, there's that little scene of her crawling away. It's like the wheelchair is like broken, like she couldn't, you know, get a new one. And mm-hmm. yeah, so sad. But then Dominic gave her gave her auto mail for free. So yeah. he was a good guy after all. <laughs> I can't he acts like an absolute asshole to her. But then, like, <laughs> yeah. And like gives her like million dollar yes like mm-hmm. medical, I mean, <laughs> medical care multiple upgrades right because <laughs> yeah. he did this when she was a child too so it's not like they have an mm-hmm. ongoing relationship obviously yeah. yeah i mean um but i like i feel like one of the themes that if you could pick something out in these i feel like one of the themes that came up again was the idea of equivalent exchange where they're like you gotta like you know you need to earnestly pay him back instead of just like pickpocketing mm-hmm. to pay mm-hmm. him back you know and I feel like maybe another way that manifests is in Winry, Winry delivers the baby in exchange for a, a recommendation for a <laughs> mm-hmm. an apprenticeship. She proved herself, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. like how the whole, like, the concept of a cool and exchange, like, starts off as just, like, a like a scientific rule of the universe, but, like, really quickly becomes kind of a... Philosophy. Yeah. yeah like a yeah. philosophy for, like, social interactions and stuff, Definitely, too. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. We've already seen that a lot of times, I mm-hmm. think. I was like, it's apparently something Ed says a lot since when he's like, he's like, what's like Ed says? You know that thing Ed <laughs> says all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like when Winry calls Ed over and he's like, not this again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, for Dominic to come see show Dominic yeah. the auto mail. Yeah. 
because she she's got like a heart in her dialogue bubble, doesn't she? And she's like, oh, Ed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, some other themes that I thought maybe were things. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's like I don't even know I don't know how to describe it as a theme, but I feel like the big one or a big like motif maybe that's running through this, these chapters is like so it's all about I feel like the majority of these focused on Winry and her actions and also uh, Paninia. So you get this, a lot of comments about like Al being like, you can't beat up a girl. And Ed's like, I'm not sexist. And people <laughs> said being like, it's weird for a girl your age to be interested in automail or Winry being like, who dreams of installing uh, guns in a girl's leg? Or like mm-hmm. Dominic is like, you got a good tongue on you, little girl. Like there's a lot of these like th- ha- comments sort of offhanded comments about specifically about women and girls i guess mm-hmm. i feel like mm-hmm. winry's um ultimately i think what happens with winry in these in these chapters is that those opinions get subverted right yeah where she's the one who's in control and um you know she's seen as being very capable and whatever even after all these comments right so mm-hmm. even the, like the male doctor at the end compliments her on handling the situation with the baby yeah. and and I mean, they're also like, wow, well, like Ed is like, wow, like having baby women are amazing. Having babies is amazing. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like a full like, you know, I'm not saying it's like a full feminist doctrine here, but there's this like, <laughs> I think it's definitely a theme that runs through all of these chapters with between uh, because of like how the the protagonists of them are Winry and uh, Paninia. So mm-hmm. and also Dominic to a certain extent in his opinions and whatever. So, yeah, 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 yeah I think it's a fairly like kind of subtle thing because I mm. Like, you do notice it's, like, none of the, like, automail engineers we see in town are women. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be a, a male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they don't, like, look down on Winry. No. Like they're interested in, like, her, her work. and her skills yeah. and, like, talking to her yeah. like, as, a, as a fellow professional. Yeah. there. I feel like in this series overall, we don't see that kind of thing a lot. I just notice it more in these chapters. So I think the series presents a very you know sort of like a world where women are 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 seen as being capable and equal and whatever like where you have every, mm-hmm. you know like the contributions of women are seen as being valuable like you have like Sheska's you know the whole freaking military mm-hmm. uh like live sure. records depend on her <laughs> right mm-hmm. and stuff like that so like just as an example and it happens a lot and obviously Winry and Pinako are very capable mechanics and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and you also like we've seen a you know, more than one female member of the military right. without real much comment. Yeah. yeah. Seen uh, Riza and Maria Ross. Right. And some background ones like the uh, like the woman's yelling at Hughes about using the phones. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the um, personal calls. The library person in that one chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the library like keeper or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like we see what we see is a world where that's the case, which I think is very it's subtly woven throughout. But. Mm-hmm. It was something that came up a lot in these chapters in the dialogue, so I thought it was worth noting yeah. for sure. And speaking of that, I think another possible theme type thing that was, uh, I think, talked about in this was that, like, I don't also don't really know how to describe it. It's kind of this, like, it kind of falls under science versus religion, but it's the idea that, like, about... um you know, like, the central, essential nature of humanity is not really understood by, like, science, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. where you have, again, the same comment of um, Ed is, like, wow, like, what alchemists can't do, a woman, woman can do in 280 days. That's, like, amazing. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and Winry is like you're kind of like sucking the magic out of that by saying <laughs> yeah. it um but yeah but i mean like yeah it's just i feel like there's this like we seen it we saw it a lot in the last couple of chapters we read with al's sort of like identity crisis of like what is the essential nature of humanity mm-hmm. it's like a question thesis kind of situation i guess the series has i just feel like there was yeah. a little bit of yeah. that coming through in these chapters too mm-hmm. so that was nice yeah it kind of felt like a like a more positive version of like ed's uh like list of ingredients speech in the <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. like early chapter yeah one or two i can't remember which one um i don't know where he's one like of the you first know, two, where, yeah yeah where he like lists all the things off and says like science has known this for years but there's never been a successful human transmutation mm-hmm. there's like there's a missing ingredient and so like in this time he's just like like humans are amazing yeah. like, they could yeah. do this thing <laughs> we could do this thing the science can't do mm-hmm this was yeah, I think it was kind of a weird, like a positive, like the stuff science can't do chapters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Like he tries to make the bridge and he can't, but then they are able to humans in this these chapters are able to summon the courage and the mm-hmm. knowledge from the depths of their brain to like successfully yeah. get the baby out safely and all that kind yeah. of stuff, right? Like yeah. people save the day yeah. in this one and not alchemy, which mm-hmm. is usually the opposite, right? Just regular yeah, I think people. there's a general kind of like I think it becomes more clear as the series goes on but I think at this point you can kind of say it I think there's kind of a general like humanist message mm-hmm. Homo alchemist yeah and um like I think we see like things where like in addition to the like alchemy isn't magic it's like it's also just like it doesn't solve it's not a perfect solution to everything it's like mm-hmm. you need just like hard, hard work and ingenuity and things that you know human beings thrive at <laughs> Yep. I mean, yeah, I do think you can see that now. I'm sure, like, there'll be more examples because I think we mostly see, like, mostly we've seen, like, Ed, these, like, kind of one-off, like, not like Monster of the Week, but, you know, like, mm-hmm. Encounter of the Week situations where um, Ed, like, fights the bad guy and catches them with alchemy uh, most of the mm-hmm. time, and that works for him. Although he did make a lot yeah, of, like, see. deals with his, you know that like equivalent exchange type stuff like with the mm-hmm. mines and whatever he yeah, tricked him into oh, yeah. say, i think there's still like an undertone even when like alchemy does like help solve the problem mm-hmm. that like it's like he like ed uses alchemy but it's his like you know inherent good nature and humanity yeah. that like leads to that solution like with the mine like That's he uses true. the uses alchemy to like change the stuff into gold and like make the deal but it's his like inherent you know personality and like desire to help people that mm-hmm like brings him to that point and it's his like you know ingenuity that makes him think of it in the first place Mm -hmm. that's true alchemy is just the tool Mm -hmm. it's like his uh his nature that helps solve the problems yeah or cause the significant property damage in some cases (laughs) (laughs) yeah at least he can fix it yeah I did very much enjoy that part where he's like, you're a menace to society. And they're like, what about you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ruined my shop. Yeah. That old man getting in the shop, getting caught in the cage was like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> he's like, what did I do? Yeah, really. <laughs> it must be nice to not have to worry about those things when you're an alchemist. Like, I'll just, yeah. just repair it. <laughs> the scene with the bridge is interesting because what I thought he was going to do was somehow like, I was like, oh, the bridge is broken. He'll just, like, use the rest of the bridge to fix it. But the rest of the bridge was on the other side of the gorge, so Mm -hmm. he couldn't do that. So, Mm -hmm. yep. I thought that was interesting, too. I mean, it's just another minor thing about that same scene, but... Yeah. As a side note, talking about the whole, like, uh, you know, humans being able to do what science can't thing. Um, 
there's like a little uh arcade or a little doodle at one point after she had her after she um had a kid mm-hmm. and it had her like doing a like transmutation and a little baby popping up it said like human transmutation achieved <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right i guess it, significant side note arakawa did did she do the majority of this series she worked full like full time while she was pregnant during this series right yeah she had two kids while she yeah she had Jeez. two kids during the oh, wow. during the time she did this series and like i don't did she ever miss a deadline if i she don't did, it wasn't know that much i like, wouldn't know but that's it's impressive yeah. regardless because she still yeah. had two newborns <laughs> mm-hmm. in the span of this series so yeah. <laughs> it's impressive nonetheless mm-hmm. i mean other random side note is that we we're in now now we're in volume four of the collector's edition which has yep. Risa Hakai on the cover, so great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm happy about that because I like Risa. <laughs> when I first looked at this cover, I was like, "Oh no, there's dirt on it," but it's actually like smoke. Yeah, there's the smoke. Oh, it's very subtle. Yeah. And the shell is there too. Yeah. And there's Risa with black Hayate on the inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another good dog. Yeah. <laughs> A series with good dogs is a good series. Mm-hmm. Anyway, any more uh, <laughs> comments about these chapters? Winry's great. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> it's the thesis statement of this episode. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Winry is great in three acts. <laughs> Act one, Winry catches the bad guy. Act two, yeah. Winry makes a deal. Act three, Winry saves the day. <laughs> 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 That's what the title sh- of the ep- the chapter should have been called. <laughs> it's the... It's the hero's journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> she delivered a baby. That's like uh, the hell part of the hero's journey, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, rebirth symbolism, blah, 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 blah. Explore the journey home. <laughs> <laughs> she's not going home yet. She's still on her hero's journey because she's yeah. in uh, training or whatever. Next time, there'll be a montage of her singing to a... Goat, half goat. Oh no, I was thinking of. So you want to be a hero, kid? Well, what do you do? A satyr, a satyr. That's what he is. Took me a minute. Half goat works. Half goat, half man. Half goat, half Danny DeVito. I was gonna say all Danny DeVito. He's basically a half goat. <laughs> anyway, no, I don't have any things to say about Full Moon Alchemist. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, we next week uh, we got uh, one more three chapter one, and then and then I can then I can rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're gonna be do chapters twenty, twenty one, and twenty two next time. Cool. Excellent. So uh, yeah, thanks everybody for uh, tuning and listening to us. Talk. Talk about Disney movies. I mean, <laughs> <I'm an alchemist. laughs> they knew what they were getting into if they listened to our proof of podcast. <laughs> Some of them didn't, we'll though. See. They had no idea what they were getting yeah. into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.
like she she's got like a heart in her dialogue bubble doesn't she she's like oh, Ed. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Kimmy wants you to show show Kimmy yeah. to work on. <laughs> Never forget Kimmy. <laughs> Cosmo, did you ever read the Fruits Basket manga? This is completely no, unrelated. Maybe you should, and then you should listen to our podcast. Maybe. Plug. I mean. <laughs>